Welcome to Rethink Reality, a podcast for creatives to learn, adapt, and future-proof themselves for the XR revolution. Tech guru Don Allen III has conversations with innovative players in the AR, VR, and XR space. Develop your knowledge with expert advice and get ready to rethink reality. Hello and welcome to Rethink Reality. My guest today, his name is Matthias Omatola. He's a manager of events and community at Maxon US and the host of the 3D Motion Show with Maxon and many hues of MoGraph on MoGraph.com. He's an entrepreneur and an author of an up-and-coming book, The Five Most Important Things You Don't Learn in School. He's an alchemist and a teacher of cosmic sexuality, tantra, and intimacy. And Matthias is also a universal consultant and a transformational guide. Welcome to the show, Matthias. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, awesome, Don. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for your audience and to dive into any, anywhere we want to go. I'm excited. I'm ready. Yay. Let's, let's just dive right in. Folks in this community might know you from your major VFX and the work that you do with Cinema 4D. So I just have to ask right off the bat, what are some skills that you think are useful for life as a 3D artist? So skills that are useful in the world of a 3D artist, there's two things you always want to be developing, and this is usually anywhere. It's your skills within the craft. That would be the technical know-how, the knowledge, and the application of those skills within the world of cinema, motion graphics, art, and creativity, as well as your business skills, which would be networking, communication, contracts, negotiations, uh, conflict resolution. So you want to make sure you're constantly developing both of those and you don't want to be too developed on one and not developed enough. You want to find a healthy balance, but those are the skills that you always want to level up on. In the world of 3D, the beautiful thing is everything in life can pretty much translate into the world of 3D. But I really try and have people focus on the core understandings of like creativity, composition, timing, color, like the classic things that you learn in art school, Mm -hmm. the classic things that you would learn in film. I really encourage people to look at film and photography as, you know, a really good starting point and learning those skills of lighting, mood, all that can translate into the world of 3D very easily because everything still takes place through the lens of a camera. A lot of people kind of skip over and they go right into like modeling and doing these cool animation effects. But really a simple camera move or quality camera position and lighting can set the mood and feel for a story where someone might have done something very dynamic, but it doesn't look as impactful because they don't have that composition and they don't have the framing right. So that's where I really encourage people to work in a technical level is to really get your framing, get your, you know, understand cameras, understand lights, understand composition. You get that and your stills are gonna be you know, better than a lot of people's animation because they're gonna be captivated by your composition. So that's, that's one thing that I would that's, recommend. Yeah, that's know. such a beautiful point of kind of going back to the practical. Like, I, you know, here I am thinking like, what do you do about 3D art? And I'm thinking computers and graphics and cards. And then this is such an, a good like step back of, well, look at cameras and framing and composition. Like look at films that have really good movement. Like that's such a beautiful way of approaching the technical side of 3D as an artist is like that foundational understanding of just how does light interact with the world around us. Totally. I mean, because that's what we are essentially working with, right? And 
I, I love the world of 3D and cinema because it gives us tools and access to creativity where we can start world building any concept. It doesn't matter if it's on the smallest scale, on the largest scale, or it's just things within our imagination. If it can be built with light, we can build it. And that powerful concept allows us a lot of creative freedom, but it also puts us in a situation where we can get overwhelmed. And one thing that has been here for a lot longer than motion graphics mm -hmm. has been just the camera itself. So we are used to having things framed. We, we can process that. We're used to having things composed well, and that's what really brings us in and creates mood. So if you have that, you can create a shot and create several different moods just from camera and lighting alone. And if you don't know how to do that, you could be doing the greatest stuff in the world and you're not going to really make an impact. So I really encourage people to kind of look into those areas of just cameras, lights, textures, and, you know, see if you can create several different looks on a really basic scene. I have to ask, is Cinema 4D too hard for somebody that's just starting out today to learn? Definitely not. I mean, it, and, and it's easier than ever, even though they keep adding more amazing tools. The resources that are available, like Cineversity, YouTube, uh, MoGraph, School of Motion, like you name it, there's so mm -hmm. many different places and courses and um, pathways to learn that you can jump in. And I've had the youngest artist that I've encountered was a five-year-old girl in Austin, Texas during South by Southwest. Unbelievable. What? Her father came up. Yeah, I know. Father comes up to me. And I, was, I thought it was, you know, a gentleman. I was like, oh, okay, you're interested in cinema? He's like, no, my, my, my little girl loves your stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, well, how old is she? He's like, five years old. I was like, what? What do you mean five years old? Wow. And then he showed me, he's like, here's her YouTube channel. And showed me the intro that she did, which was like kind of Mario S themed. I was like, I'm, uh, okay, what? well, so I know cool. nothing. I, I know nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, this, mm -hmm. is, this is what's available right now. So... I mean, it really depends. It mm -hmm. depends on what you want to do. Like some people want to like pick it up and create Toy Story. Well, there's going to be some challenges there because you're going to need to know the art of movement of the human body. If you don't know that, there are cheats around it, but mm -hmm. there's so much more into animation. But if you're looking to create still imagery, you can start learning that right away. You want to right. do titles. You can start doing that right away. So it is still, it has been since I've, you know, really picked it up over, you know, 10 years ago, the fastest, easiest to learn full featured 3D application that has the best integration into the, you know, Adobe workflow. So if, if that's, right. you, if you're already comfortable in Photoshop and After Effects and you're like, oh, you know what, I, I need to learn something else, pick up cinema. I mean, it's already in After Effects. There's a light version. Oh, yeah. Student I versions. forget to yeah. mention that. Jeez. There's a light yeah. version of, of Cinema 4D in After Effects right now, folks. If you, if you have After Effects, I think you just go up to like file, edit, and then there's an option to... Um, New C4D file. Yeah. You can just create a file and then you can uh, just bring it into your composition. Perfect. And hit edit original, and it'll launch it. You mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of two foundational skills for 3D artists. You know, you Definitely. mentioned the technical side of, like, the, you know, the art and the photography. But you also mentioned, like, the importance of business skills. Um, Definitely, yeah. For those that don't know, like, what are some important business skills that, uh, you know, a 3D artist should be aware of, <laughs> of growing and developing? There's a way to look at, you know, business as a whole for 3D artists. And then in whatever career you are in as an artist, creative or anything, there's a couple little things that 
you know, or a couple people you want to have in your life. And I talk about this a lot, um, at least in the book, the five most important things you don't learn in school. Mm-hmm. And I have a section on it, but I'll, I'll go through that here. And so one of the things you first want to know how to do is, one, be able to talk and network. Your network is your net worth. Ooh, right? I like that line. That's let's, cool. let's look at that. So, because people will look at, you know, oh, my net worth is, you know, how much money I have in the bank with my assets minus liabilities, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. No, your, your network is your net worth because you can take somebody who doesn't really have much but has amazing relationships mm-hmm. and that person could have gone bankrupt, but they could make a phone call and get reinvested in their next major idea because people trust them and they like to do business with them. Oh, wow. That's a really good insight. So you want to make sure that you can network, you can build relationships. You're not feeling too awkward communicating. You can communicate authentically. You can uh, communicate in a way that provides value, clarity, and understanding to whoever you're actually communicating with in business. So business communication Mm -hmm. and networking, you want to get comfortable with it. And, And the way to do that is just do it, like have number of conversations. And a real easy thing is to ask people about themselves and about what they do to cool. learn more about them. You, and, and a lot of times, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in business, we look at this kind of backwards, right? So we look at what can we extract from somebody like, ooh, I can get money from the client. I can mm-hmm. get this from that person. Um, you know, I go to the store to get things instead right. of looking at that way, you know, the first thing is just relating with them. Hey, what are important things to you and your life and your business? And just listen, like without anything in your head and just take notes. You know, the more you can actually find out who this person is or who this business is and mm-hmm. what's important to them as a business, the better you can align yourself with them. And they right. will end up feeling like you're part of the team instead of somebody who's just trying to get a gig. Right. Because right? one of them sounds like what you said is, is more like one sided. You know, it's like how to, you know, it's not trying to establish any mutual benefit. One's trying to extract only. And then the other one's trying to like actually find mutual benefit for both. And the whole thing is you, you want to stop working for and working and change it to working with. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm working for my client. It creates a power sh- structure in which you're less than you're lower than and you're always going to feel like it's a burden or anything else. If you're working with your client, then you're working together for the best outcome. That's yeah. Right? Amazing point. And part of that and part of that. And this, once you once you adopt that mentality, part of that is making sure that the client is right by you. So they have access to an amazing designer whenever they pick up the phone. So that like so that they, as the client their experience with you is 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 so stellar that you, I mean you can kind of re- return it's a it's a healthy relationship a healthy dynamic that you can keep working with long into the future kind of thing yeah it was long into the future as well as it allows you to have more self respect as your role that you're involved in you know you're bringing value because you've looked at the value that you're actually creating for your client. And you won't let your client overwork you or burn you out because you know that that will be detrimental to their business because then they will no longer have you on their design team. You'll be off if you're smart. <laughs> you you wouldn't let yeah. someone. So so it's like you. look, <laughs> yeah. You're like look. This this is a great. You know this. I have 
every uh, you know bit of confidence that I'll be able to create the animation piece to deliver the message that you're looking for to be impactful to your audience. Mm-hmm. And we've been working together. This feels actually absolutely great. But I cannot you know work beyond these hours without you know this amount of uh, money to be able to cover the additional artists that we're hiring or my additional time. And um, I, I just need that so we can maintain this relationship and we can continue to build. Otherwise, we're going to need to change other parameters because this needs to stay a win-win relationship so we can right. keep being profitable. Just like their business, they want to be profitable. We're not going to be profitable if you know we're, we're not making good deals for a department within your business. Right. So exactly. it's, it, when you're working with them, you are now part of that business unit during that time. You might be 1099 or anything else, but you need to look at that. And that's where you, you can actually hold your ground as far as what, it, what isn't fair and what isn't balanced. If a, if a business is doing that internally, they're going to have major problems. Right. So you can help them with structuring their business and doing good deals and feeling confident. And they can be rushed and they can do all those other things that you know, people do. But you want to make sure you're with them and not for them. Yeah, one thing I, I mean, to build off of that, of like establishing the idea that you're working with your client, not for your client, is, um, is how you write your contracts, how you write what kind of agreement you all are going into. Um, I always try to include language that makes this like a team effort. <laughs> and, uh, and also I like to put in like limitations, you know, like I'm, you know, I'll say it before we even start that any time between this time and this time is basically an off limit zone. And I need that to be a part of this relationship. <laughs> You know, and uh, but I was fortunate I had my dad who taught me how to write contracts. So how's your knowledge of contracts? Do you do them a lot or have to think about them a lot in your work? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing them all the time. A lot of it now is more like uh, working with different sponsors, large companies like, you know, Unreal, Dell and, and folks like that. So a lot of it is, you know, in the world of sponsorship. So it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. deliverables. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the world of working with clients, there's, there's a couple things that I have talked with artists as I've seen time go on. So the things that you're putting in, the parameters, the scope of work, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that that's really clear, right? You want to make sure that that's really clear. The process is really clear. Really being more thorough in this part of the process is going to save you so much later because so once much. the client signs off on it, that's what they're going to agree on. So if you know, like, hey, if it's going to pull in additional hours, it's at this rate. Cool. You highlight all that stuff. Just make sure it's clear. You don't have to be sneaky about it, right? This is mm-hmm. business. We're not. Don't try and play lawyer and put stuff in the small print. <laughs> like, don't right. do that. Like, you're going to burn yourself out. The client's going to like feel they're not going to feel good about it. Just be like, hey, this mm-hmm. is what it is, right? If you go to a, a you know a Lamborghini dealership. And, you know, you're trying Mm -hmm. to negotiate about, you know, oil change prices. Well, they're going to look at you like this car isn't right for you. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's like different priorities there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not right for you. So you want to make sure that it's, hey, it's really clear. Like, hey, these are the expenses. Cool. You want it. You want it because of, you know, it is a very different machine. Right. So you're going to get what you're paying for. But there's something that I encourage Mm -hmm. now because I know some very talented artists. Um, and there's different um, contracts that you can get. I believe, um, uh, what's her name that runs Motion Mondays? Um, she has, I think, a contract pack out. Um, a contract pack? 
Yeah, so it's like some basic contracts already pre-written that you can customize. Haley. Yeah, Haley from Motion Monday's uh, Motion Hatch. Yeah, so she has a, a, a little kit of um, like pre-built uh, contracts. Motion, motion that you Mondays, can, okay. Yeah, Motion Mondays, um, Motion Hatch, and Haley is... Um, yeah, Haley is the one who runs that. So, yeah. um, so they have taken a look at that and then being able to adopt that, and it's all for you know motion designers and stuff like that, and then customizing it. But this is one thing that I would mm-hmm. um, encourage people to start putting into their contracts. And I I ran into this because a, a very talented artist, um, mm-hmm. uh, David Aryev, actually. Uh, you know David, right? Octane I think Jesus, so, yeah. Good friend, Octane Jesus. So he um, he was on a project and he couldn't show something. I can't talk about any of the, the stuff that he couldn't or whatever. But mm-hmm. in, in essence, you know, and a lot of amazing artists are in situations where the client doesn't want them to show their work. Yeah, that's a big right? problem I've seen. Myself so, so that's a thing. Yeah, so you've worked six months on on this work and you can't work uh you know you can't talk about it you can't show it you can't do breakdowns you can't do any Uh, of the stuff that really excites the next client to bring you in right right so one thing that i really encourage um you know after that i was like oh man that sucks so bad because your work (laughs) is amazing you did that like you can't never talk anybody that's right oh that's so cool that's such a pain that's so terrible right (laughs) yeah it's like but you can never show that's oh can't tell anybody about all the magical amazing work that you Mm -hmm. just did you know we want the best out of you but you can tell nobody about it (laughs) exactly so like think about like athletes running around on the court and Uh you can't see any numbers you can't see any names or any faces. Oh, now. my God. <laughs> they might be wondering, what am I running for? Right? At so some it's like, point. Oh, wow. So, well, so the thing that I encourage everybody to put in your um, contracts mm-hmm. is an exclusivity clause, meaning Ooh. that I'm giving you this rate. The rate, my current rate is a promotional rate. Always lead with a promotional rate. The promotional rate will state that everything that is created after a certain time period that if after it's released to the public that i will be able to share my process and breakdowns but not the entirety of the work as a whole unless it is a commercial or you know something else that is already displayed as a whole right right so you think of like a car commercial if it's already airing fine you're just playing a commercial Mm -hmm. win for them so that's your promotional rate and that should be your standard rate that you would negotiate normally, period, the end. Now, the non-promotional rate, you should be looking at anywhere between 20 and 40% more. Right, because you're gonna lose that much work if you can't tell people about it. So the non-promotional rate is going to be more. So they'll see the promotional rate, they're like, totally, we can do this at the promotional rate. Cool, in the contract, it's Uh stating that after this, you'll be able to do breakdowns, behind the scenes, you'll be able to show stuff. If they're like, no, we absolutely can't, great. There's already a clause in there that says, here's my non-promotional rate. It's 20% more or 40% more. And they've agreed to Whatever it. that is. And they exactly. understand it. You've highlighted it. You communicated it to them. It's not, you're not hiding it. You're saying this mm-hmm. is going to be the non-promotional rate for, for yes, not. Because uh, you're looking for that exclusivity. So right off the bat, they can feel like, oh, we're getting a discount. It's the promotional rate. It feels good. So you've communicated like, oh, yay, cool. Like, look, we're the client. They care about <laughs> us. They're giving us a nice promotional weight. That's great. Right. And then they, you know, get to that next level and they're like, no, no, no. Well, guess what? It's worth it to them. 
Right. Right. If you yeah. think about it, who usually doesn't want those contracts? Musicians, you know, it's like musicians, um, mm -hmm. a big Hollywood studio. Some of these places that could pay your stuff 10 times over for what you're delivering, sure. no problem. Yes. They could. So 20 to 40% more to make sure that they have exclusivity and you don't share any of that information. So put that in is start with your promotional rate. And if you cannot share it, then you remove the promotional rate and the non-promotional rate will give you at least additional cash so you can create a personal project or have some additional funds to get you through your next job because you're not going to be able to use this one to show clients to get more clients. That's, I love your wording of that, of promotional and non-promotional. I'm definitely going to use that in mine. What I've been doing is um, I usually ask clients, I put a statement in there saying um, that you get a discount, and I explain what the discount is, uh, because if I'm allowed to share it on social media, my process, if I'm, if I'm allowed to do live streams and talk about it and show breakdowns of your project, um, and, they, and I put a little, initial there, a, little, a little initial there so that it's really easy for me to say, you know, when they return it, I'm like, oh, you, you did an initial next to here. Can you please read that statement and <laughs> go ahead and initial? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then they're like, wait, you want to, you know, tell people about our process? I'm like, yeah. It's like how I get more work and it's how I help kind of spread education through the community. So then if they don't want that, then they don't get the discount. But I like the idea of phrasing it as a positive. So it's like, oh, yeah, here's the promotion. The, it's those little things. It's like, hey, look, at, you're an amazing client. I love working with you. I know we're going to create something awesome together. And not only is it going to be awesome just when it's released, but I do breakdowns. You know, At some point, mm -hmm. I might be talking about this or do a breakdown, which will give extra exposure to your brand and the amazing work that we just created because people are gonna wanna see it. They're gonna be excited about it. And if you have seen some right. of the amazing breakdowns over time, people have seen some of these breakdowns get 100,000 million plus views, right? So these things sure. are really valuable and valuable for a brand. Um, so that's that's what I'm, I'm also, that's where you get it. And that's a promotional rate because you know, you're opening up some of the, this, mm -hmm. but then you know, it's a benefit for both of us. Now, if you want really exclusivity, then we have a non-promotional rate which will, you know, is, is more of an exclusive rate where if you yeah. want all exclusivity. And so you, you're wording it like once again, it's mm -hmm. it is a positive because it is positive. You know, yeah. they're paying for what they're getting and <laughs> right. you're in a position where you can stay happy about the work instead of you've done this amazing project. You're excited to go take it out. You go mm -hmm. to have that conversation and the client's like, absolutely not. And now your relationship with that client feels like you've been burned and you don't want to work with them again. Oh, that's like the worst spot to be in with the client. Because then that also is going to affect the quality of your work because the quality of your mental health is not the same if you feel like you're that's being That's why used. you got to protect it. So that's one of the things that I'm talking about is like you have to look at yourself aligning with the client and mm -hmm. you're part of that whole process. And your processes after working with that client need to make sure that those are supported too because that helps maintain that relationship. So you want to look at the whole ecosystem and not just like, oh, I got a job, I got paid. No, right. there's a whole ecosystem because it keeps flowing into the next gig and the next gig and the next gig. So that's a yeah, super so positive. Toss that in your contact. Yeah, yeah that's a really positive and influential like way of approaching it. You know, that seems like a very constructive. Um, you know, something I, I, a challenge I run into, not with myself, but with some of my peers is, um, some of my friends that don't have any business background feel wrong to charge anything for their work. And they have this, um, they're, they're taught this form of guilt for like asking for compensation for their skills, their talent, their time, their abilities. 
do you have any, um, I don't know, advice for those folks that are like, how do you, how do I ask for money for my skills? You know, and there's some people that, oh, not some, a lot of people have this problem. Yeah, that, that unfortunately comes with being an artist and, and our self-worth, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, it, we, we look at our art as an extension of us instead of like a carpenter or an architect. So if you look at yourself as a motion designer and, oh, I'm a designer, well, I just love designing and I would be doing it for free if I never had to pay rent, but I do have to pay rent. So then I have to figure something out, right? Right. So because of that, mm-hmm. don't look at it because I don't look at it anymore. Like people look at it, oh, motion design, design, artist, this, that, the other. I consider myself an architect of light. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Right? Architect of so light. So as an architect of light, uh-huh. I can build anything that light can build but you pay an architect for the design you pay him for the structure and if he has to go back and redraw those designs you pay them for it makes the sense end. yeah <laughs> it's very you want yes. a garage i'll build a garage you want a mansion i'll build a mansion now i can do it way faster than with you know practical and having to build a small model and then you fly through it with a camera and stuff like that <laughs> right and i'll do it way less than hiring the entire camera crew and everything else and you know what i'll do it photo real for you so I can do all that they will love that and I'll do it with light and I'll do it at a fraction of a cost of hiring an entire camera crew and an entire modeling crew I'm with you but how did you get the confidence I guess to because I that makes sense to me you're 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 preaching to the crier uh, choir crier (laughs) I understand the idea of like you should be paid what you're worth but I've had this battle with some of the people I care about some of the artists that I care about the most that are like they just feel this guilt for asking for anything for their skills, their time, their self-worth. And I just yeah, don't because, know what to say to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really how you're, how you're looking at your work, right? As an architect, no one's going to go to an architect and say, hey, you know what? I want you to just kind of like build me a garage. And I'm looking at some of the, you know, I was looking at building out a, a work shed. And I'm also looking at uh, this castle over here. And, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to go to an architect and ask them to do that. And then say, oh, yeah, um, you know, it'd be good for your portfolio. <laughs> no, one, no one does that for an architect. No way. You know, you might be yeah. an, an intern. You might be interning at a big architectural firm. Sure. Great. But you're still in school and you're like cutting your teeth. But when you're out there, it's like, no, you're, you're providing architectural renderings that will be able to be used professionally for a professional outcome. Right. So if you're right. doing, working with anybody and it's going to be used professionally yes. for a commercial purpose then you need to be part of that commercial purpose if it's going to be for a nonprofit and you want to volunteer totally mm-hmm. but you have to align yourself with the business right so right. the thing is you ask the client okay so dear client whatever mm-hmm. they do how much of that do you just give away align yourself with the client like how good is that for your business model Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, oh, we do you, some yeah. promotional. We do some. Uh, we do some promotional stuff, and then we, you know, give away. You know, maybe like four or five percent a year of our total inventory towards charitable cause, whatever. But no, we're here to make money. We're here to profit. Okay, cool. So am I. Mm-hmm. And I give you a promotional rate, which takes care of that promotion that you're talking about exposure for. Already got that taken care of. Easy. That's already okay. built in. That's already built in. So it's just like you just got to do it. You got to bite. If you're feeling uncomfortable about it, folks, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't get it. You know, you got to do it. Here's the thing. Go and do some research. 
find out how many people saw that last Nike ad. Oh. How many people saw, you know, just do how many people saw that, that, yeah, just go, go look at the numbers. If you look at the numbers and like, okay, I want to, I want to pay for those impressions and I want to, I want to get, all right, this, this got over 10 million views. Oh my God. All right. I want 10 million views and I'm going to pay that out of pocket. Okay. And how many people actually converted off of that? Oh, wow. We have conversion as well too. So you mean something was actually created that told told a story visually that impacted people enough to actually buy a product and the brand awareness was saw more than 10 million times, 3 million times, 100,000 times, and it converts into dollars. Well, there's other products that are actually doing this. Why do you think yours will not sell a single thing? Wow, that's a great way of looking at it. Then do you think your ad's going to suck that bad? Like, think about it. Right. Is my ad, I'm going to create this, I'm going to spend the next, you know, 12 weeks on this project nonstop and it's going to be amazing it's going to have all these cool transitions and it's going to you know be impactful yeah. it's going to be colored right it's going to have this mood and then it's going to have this reveal this new amazing product or house or whatever it is right and no one's ever going to buy it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would the be business waste. wouldn't do it yeah yeah the business themselves would say you know what let's scratch all this because we're not going to sell anything they're right. coming to you because they believe it will have a positive impact on their business, which means that it will be profitable for their business. So you need to be aligned with that. If you're not thinking that it's profitable for their business, don't take that job. Makes sense. Because then you would feel it just, yeah, it's not going anywhere any, anyway. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> no, this isn't going to sell. We can make this, but like people will hate it and I'll hate it. And, you know, I can't show this to my friends, my family. I don't want to do a ba right. breakdown. Like, this is just bad. <laughs> this is just like selling, you know, cigarettes to kids. I don't want to do it. Like, don't make right. me do this. You know, so if it is going to be aligned with their business and their business is selling a product or service mm -hmm. to make a profit, then you need to be profit aligned. I like think that. about it. Yeah, you got to be with the client one. on that. Like, hey, we're all about making money, being successful with the business. Cool. My business is totally aligned with yours. We, we run a profitable business. We're in, we're in the same thing. We give top notch stuff to our clients. That's why they do business with you. That's why, they, you know, clients go with me because I do top notch work for them. And we're aligned. Here we go. Bingo. Yeah. If you're not in alignment, don't take the job. And businesses are aligned to make money. So if you're going to be professional, <laughs> be professional. If you're going to do volunteer work, do it for charities. There's more charities that need greater amount of awareness than businesses in it for profit. So just just don't do that. Spend your time with charities. Kind of switching a little bit into artistic brain. Um, you are yeah, yeah. an artist. You are a creative. And I was just curious, what kind of visual effects are your favorite things to see? You'd think it'd be something beautiful, but it's something so destructive. I That's love really interesting. <laughs> I love when things blow up. I, like... At a young age, yeah, um, I was watching PBS back in the day, and I saw the atomic bomb that it was when it was filmed, and that became just the most. It was like one of the most beautiful sights to me mm -hmm. as a child, and also terrifying. Like after I found out like what it what was actually happening, it was like, wait, that's just wiping out everything. But it was so beautiful. And then I found out, oh, those type of explosions are happening all the time in the sun. I'm like, well, that makes sense. That that's OK. I'm more comfortable with that than cities. Sure. But it, it was it was really like the destruction and explosions and physics sims and water sims. So 
you know, give me an Avengers movie every day, you know, anything that's practical nice. or, you know, anything that's visual effects, you know, from doesn't matter if it's a creature feature, but it's really you give me that really ooey gooey, you know, fluid sim destructions, you know, collapsing city, exploding anything. And it's yeah. done well. I'm just like, ah, it's a, it's a, it's a work of art. Wow, I'm actually totally surprised. I would not have expected that um, as like the as like your visual inspiration. But that's, I mean, that says a lot too because there's a lot of work that goes into like visual effects that are explosive in that capacity. You know, everything from simulation data to point clouds to like lighting, fuel burn. I mean, there's just so mm. many factors that go into making it look good, you know? Look, I've tried, I've, I've created an atomic bomb so many different ways. Like when I first got started in cinema, like one using textures and displacement, like oh, wow. I've tried it so many different ways. Even, uh, you know, I, and cause I, I would look at other tutorials like Max, Maya, uh, uh, Blender and whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is what they did. And I would come into cinema and I'd be trying it out and I'm like, oh, cool but then like lighting and subsurface scattering would be different in different versions i'll be like no i just lost that file but like at any given time <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that you can make it um you know there's like pose morphs you can use there's there's so many different ways to create it but yeah that's that's one of the things that just really pulls me in and it could be like things denting and colliding and fracturing like so all those different physics-based things really get me in but i really love like large-scale explosions and Type of sims. That's so cool. On that note, have you heard of the software Embergen? Embergen, yes, the real-time fluid simulation. Yes, have you? Uh, I haven't touched it. Okay, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't touched it yet, and I, I, I didn't hear that it's you know really integrated with cinema yet. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> like, totally. Eh. I'll, I'll work, work around it. I was like, someone's gonna build a nice plugin for you know. You know, if it's, not, you know, cinema's new Neutron, if, you know, we can do stuff with Neutron for Fluid Sim at some point, or if, uh, you know, somebody builds a workflow into Unreal and using their Chaos Destruction or some of the stuff with that, like, that's my thing. Because I'm like, I don't want to keep learning other software just for a new feature update right. to make it now like, oh, I could have just been refining my skills and learning, you know, the 80% of cinema I don't know to learn sure, this one plug-in to do this one thing. Um, I yeah, because... Yeah. yeah. I see that. Because our technology is going to make it so much easier. Like, that's the whole thing. Is like, it, like everything's going to get easier and easier and easier. Um, you know, these things are going to be really easy to accomplish. So I'm always like, if I do something, I try and make it like, okay, I'm working on the artistic thing or I'm working yeah. on a new skill set within, you know, the program to know that I, I can at least have something under my belt using that. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. Um, one thing, though, to mention about Embergen is it's very friendly compared to anything I've seen um, in that capacity. Because I'm, I'm used to trying to make stuff like that in Houdini. Um, such a different process. <laughs> Brave man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Houdini, man, it's, a, it's, it's still the hardest program I've ever tried to learn. And I, yeah, I, it's, a, it's yeah, an ongoing well, thing. Yeah, I got to dive into that MoGraph, stop being afraid of Houdini class, you know, that's uh, right. apparently a lot of people have, have gotten out feeling fluid in it. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing is with Houdini, especially if you're making under 100K, 
you know, between Houdini and cinema, you have pretty much all that you need. For, yeah, true. You know, all, the, all the effects. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to learn something else, oh, and then I have Unreal if I need to put that in the pipeline too. I'm like, all right, I, I should just stay here. Right. You know, there is yeah. the one thing you might like though about Ember Gen, just to like point out a, like a nice little feature, is it's a lot more like After Effects than any program I've ever seen oh, outside that's of After Effects. So you get like, the same about same size windows with sliders to control stuff and you just see mm. everything you, there's like a slider for fuel burn there's a slider mm. for um heat there's a slider for turbulence and you're just playing with these sliders and because it's all real time and you're rocking an rtx card it will be a it will be so freaking fast the thing they, they show off they show off how fast their performance is by the moment you launch the app what the default poses, what the default thing that's happening when you load it up, what you load it up, is a beautiful fire burning smoke that's heated, and and it's all <laughs> real time. And that's their default stance. Uh, that's I'm used to seeing something like that. Here. Yeah, that's their start. <laughs> I'm used to that being the end result in Houdini. Like that's right. what you'll get after like rendering your frames out with Redshift. Then you get to see something like that. This is like. So what are they at Limbics? How do, how do you how do you work with other programs with it? Are you you know caching? How how does the transfer work? I'm excited to say you can export a VDB file, so that translates oh. perfectly into Cinema 4D. Okay. Or you can even right, bring yeah. in geometry, so you can animate some cool stuff in uh, Cinema 4D, and then bring in that geometry and turn them into emitters. So like. Or colliders or whatever. Exactly. So you can have all that nice collision like. You know, use because it can't it can't do what Cinema 4D can do at all. But it does particle simulation, smoke simulation, fire better than just about anything I've ever seen in my entire life. Without a team of Houdini experts. Correct, because I've seen stuff like that from Houdini. But then that's like, okay, learn for a decade, and then maybe you can make something cool. This is like they even have like a lot of presets too, so you can start off with a tornado, and you're like, oh. Wow, I can start off from here. Tweak the tonight. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm gonna add look at. I'm sold because I, I like you know I like blowing stuff up and you know I'm I'm working on some destruction scenes. This is the next time I, you know, dive into a project is going to be some destruction stuff. So um, yeah, okay. It's, it's I need to make some phone calls then. Yeah, especially because you said your favorite thing is like the destruction elements and blowing up stuff. Yeah. This is like, like ah. You'll see this. You'll see Embergen. You're going to be like, you'll never leave because it's so fast. Uh, I've seen it. I'm like, oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I'm like, ah, I don't want to learn another thing. But if you're saying it's like with sliders, it's, then I'm like, it's sliders. You're, it's, you're talking my language. Yeah, it's more <laughs> like after. It's way more like yeah. After Effects. And I think part of the reason why it's so fast is it can only do that. It can't do yeah, anything fine. else. Nothing. Yeah, but if I can take care of like the rest of my destruction, then I come in and bring in like smoke and bring in debris and, and things oh, like that. Oh, then oh, yeah, oh, I'll layer it up. But that's exactly. yeah, that's so so amazing. Amazing. So that's good to know about your favorite VFX. Um, I was going to ask you kind of like a more futurist question. Um, where Go do you think? Uh, where do you think visual effects are going? I am now living in the future that I talked about in like 2014 or 2015. Really? So uh, I was, yeah, because I was interviewed in uh, Miami-Dade College at a place it used to be called uh, Annie Miami, which is now like Miami Animation. 
was the show back when we used to go outside. You remember back in the long, long ago, <laughs> in the outside time? Back in the outside so time. <laughs> yeah, back in the outside time. Yeah, and I was interviewed by a local news station. They asked, you know, what's the future? And it was like 2014 or 15. I was like, the future is real time. Like that is the future is no longer waiting for feedback, no longer going to get coffee, doing all this stuff. It's real time. And now with GPUs being where they are with, uh, you know, places like Ambergen and uh, Unreal and Redshift, it's like, oh, wow, you got a decent card. Here you go. And you're getting, you know, near final quality without ever hitting render or in some cases final quality without hitting render. So that world is gone. And now that's actually today. That's not wow. coming up or, or anything else. And with Jonathan Winbush's presentation, um, you know, at, at the last three emotion show and, and before that, um, in NAB, then I was like, Oh, it's here. And I kind of got the feeling that our whole industry was like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 no, we, we haven't caught up yet. It was Ooh. like, Oh no, unreal was like, sorry, it's here already. <laughs> it's here. Oh, and then everybody was like, Oh man, we got to learn as fast as possible because <laughs> it's, it's happening now. It's like, this is the future. The future is now. So, right. <laughs> so that's, that's it. So that's, that's that part. Um, but where I feel now is it's actually i feel that a lot of things are going to be um like app based oh i've not yeah. heard that what does yeah that mean? because so i think that you're going to be looking at you know an example would be video copilot and that whole team with andrew kramer and everything they did the demon face tutorial right mm -hmm. and everybody has these facial feature tutorials and things like that well, you're also seeing like dance videos where people have their, you know, shoes on fire or these laser effects and things like that. So I think we're going to start seeing more of these drilled down effects where you might look at, you know, putting something into the scene because it's tracked or you're going to have a part of a wall crumble because you can just select, you know, something that's planar. So I think we're going to have more interactive oh, wow. effects through our phones. And so people will be doing that like with their edit. They might not do a full, you know, production, but I think more and more people are going to be doing little things, kind of like, um, you know, deep fakes. So it's mm -hmm. like, cool, I'll just deep fake this. And it's like, oh, now we, that's an amazing thing. It's like, oh, well, I'm just going to grab this and AI is going to show that it's a car. And now I can, you know, do some other things to it to make it look like it's colliding with it and destroying it or setting this on fire or that. So I think that's where we're going is to make it more like a video game because we're going into real time, mm -hmm. right? So we're in real time. We're in real Unreal time. Unreal is, yeah, Unreal is kind of like the, the home for that. And that's the game. And in games, what is it? Well, everything is interactive, you know, yeah, we're you getting to that anywhere, place where you everything's can do interactive. anything. So when you say yeah, it's app based, so, is that like, as you said with your phones, like someone's filming some content and you're thinking that they're going to have some effects that they're capturing in camera, in software. Well, it might not be necessarily in camera, but that might be an easy post option. So oh, they'll click okay. on a tree and be like, okay, I want, uh, you know, just like I add a filter, like, uh -huh. oh, lightning strike here and then tree on fire. Particle simulation, like all one Boom. click. Boom. Let me just wow. add this, add that. Because you take a look right now, like, 
you have uh, with Maxon, you have our stuff like Red Giant, mm -hmm. right? And there's all these presets, and it's like, oh, cool. I want to drag and drop these different, you know, presets, this content library, these, you know, starting right. off with a fire, starting off with a tornado. Well, what if you actually just kind of pre-rendered some of those and, you know, already just have a couple sliders for them? You're telling me those things already exist. And now you're just starting to do these different uh, interactions. So I think more and more people are going to do it on a smaller scale. So we're going to see, mm -hmm. you know, little tricks like that. So that's where I feel for consumers because wow. everybody's telling stories with video now. Yeah, everybody is. <laughs> it's so, hard to you know, not. grandma and grandpa will be be sending you some stuff. We got a twister going on. Like the, the hurricane's <laughs> looking terrible. Like, oh, grandpa, that's you know. So I, that's where I think it is because mm -hmm. everybody's storytelling, right? right? So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna create that. Um, so that's where I feel that is. And then the other part that is future, but it's really not so future, but it's now. Mm -hmm. I feel that Hollywood is not going to be Hollywood anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So that one Mecca isn't going to be what it is because I feel there's going to be a democratization with virtual production. And we're going to start seeing an amazing virtual production places that are accessible for a lot less than what it costs to live in Hollywood. Bingo. That's a huge you know? uh, disruption to the current state of events, state of affairs. Th Man, you, you look at some property and it's like, okay, and you know, go to Texas, go to Oklahoma, go to Atlanta. Atlanta's already, you know, there. You go to some place that's not too much, you know, to actually be there. And you build an airport hangar with 100,000 square feet. Oh and it's not going to cost you that much. Right. And now you, you set up your different screens. You got Unreal giving you environment. You know, we just need to bring in some props. But... Yeah. Now with mega scans and everything else, there's we don't need as much practical stuff. Now you can just have a, a studio there and anyone can shoot there. So I think that's what we're going to be looking at is like kind of having creative hubs all over the world that have these productions that can that can be, you know, done, especially fantasy. You know, oh, we take a look at what the Mandalorian's doing and it's like, what? Yeah, they just it like so good. Yeah. And like you, so people good. couldn't tell like. Honestly, like, no, you didn't realize that you were looking at a virtual set because you took, you know, all the craftsmanship of the camera work on top of that. And all of a sudden, it's just like you're just adding a new infinite tool to your tool set. Like, that's just the beginning. If you've seen some of the stuff that Otoy has been talking about, you know, and them working on the holodeck, you yeah, know. So what, is, so what are they trying <laughs> to do exactly? Because I've heard that, but I don't really under, I don't fully understand. I know, like, maybe there's some people here that are like, what are you talking about holodeck? Um, so you know the OSL shader. OSL. So that's the shader where it might be like a flat plane, but if you adjust the camera, then it looks like there's depth. Oh. Like, so you'll see, yeah. A portal, almost. Yeah. It's like a cutout. So, exactly. It looks like a so cutout. It, yeah, so it already has depth to it and everything else. So if you look at that, um, mm -hmm. that's kind of a simple way of, of doing it, but, you know, with their screens, apparently, you won't even need glasses. It's just based on, like, location it's wow. it's beyond my it's beyond my comprehension but if you start looking at building virtual sets that are now holographic screens instead of these flat screens well you're done you don't need anything else it is basically holodeck wow because then you'll just have everything yeah all the time perfect parallax anything that's built anything that's there as the camera moves you're in that complete virtual environment projected back to the camera 
That's what I think is the near future here. The next five years, we'll, we'll see like the first holographic set and it will, yeah. And that's where everything changes. You, it, indistinguishable from reality. Amazing. And perfect segue to the next question I got for you. Um, how do you feel about virtual reality and augmented reality? There's some things that excite me and some things terrify me, right? So the exciting thing to me was like, I really love the concept of AR and miniature VR experiences. Like um, if you ever played like Coco uh, in VR or um, like the whale simulation, like under underwater simulation, just having those experiences, mm -hmm. I think are very beautiful short-term experiences like getting in just having a really nice experience that's cool um mm -hmm. ar i was really excited in the outside times for things like going to the park and then the park is no longer the park somebody actually built an entire starship um uh, overlay for it Whoa. So now you're not running through this park anymore. These different trees are pillars and you have all these different things. And now you're out playing with your friends mm -hmm. in this AR environment that you all are seeing the same things, but it's, it's mixed with reality. So there's rocks there, but those aren't rocks anymore. No, now those are, you know, different panels and stuff. So you navigate through this world and it's a blended reality. So you could be doing, you know, you could play tag in that environment or you can play laser tag or you can, you know, you so can play fun. these different mixed reality games, you know, instead of just paintball. Now you can mm -hmm. actually be using lasers, but you would see the lasers firing and you would see people <laughs> getting hit. And like pew, pew. That, that would be fun to me. Like that use of AR would be like super exciting that we're all going to go out and, you know, we'll map this forest and then we'll come back with different designs and we can create an environment or we'll create levels. So parks become different levels and you can have several different layers on top of it. I would love um, to build a park level that people could go like run around. You know what I mean? Experience, you know, bring your real time effects, bring a tornado out there. Yeah, it's you like, know. oh, wow, that like how much more fun would that be? And you can do storytelling in it. And that's so like, cool. oh, for these abandoned malls, let's change those into a full on virtual arcade where you're going through this whole level. And oh, like, my God, that's the stuff that I'm thinking. Like, Staircases, oh, yeah, no, elevators, all mapped. Yeah, one to let's one. buy. Yeah, it's just like you put on the headset and it's just like overlay you're in, but it's mixed, you know. So, so cool. that to me, especially with like mega scan textures, it's like. Oh, the yeah. texture might be some of the there's the regular floor but some of it's already textured now you have a monster break through the floor and like, easy you can do so much fun yeah. stuff so that is what is exciting to me um and then like i said the vr experiences is more like um traveling to different worlds you know maybe going to space like seeing the rings of saturn like to me that's more like you sit down and you enjoy the ride you know maybe mm -hmm. with a little bit of interactivity but like these immersive worlds seem really fun, not necessarily over exhausting yourself for that. That's where I feel AR would be better. Um, gotcha. Nice. But it's also my concern that especially given our current situations where we're not having so much interaction, that we are moving more toward the matrix where our screen time is greater than our sleep time. So let's think about that for a second. Our, screen time greater than our sleep time our sleep time is when we used to access another vir virtual reality known as the dream world mm -hmm. 
And so now our consciousness is going to be in these augmented and virtual worlds, and we're going to be spending more time in those than we are in the dream worlds. That's kind of weird to me. That does have a lot of bigger problems that I can see (laughs) coming. Uh, Yeah, so I think that's going to, I think those are some of the things that we're going to run into as a society that we're going to have to start figuring out. Like, okay, especially when it comes to children's development. You know, children's brains developing at an early age, getting them exposed to these different things and not having a really firm grasp of reality anyway. Mm-hmm. And now they're in certain worlds where there are no rules, things don't really hurt, things like very different than being able to have a solid foundation and step into it versus this is part of my reality. And I've been spending several hours a day in that since I was three or four or five or six. Dang. I'm happy you said this. I might need to readjust a, a, a current perspective I had on augmented reality hearing this because I've, I've, I've often thought of augmented reality as this awesome tool that, that I might focus a little bit too much on the positive side of all the good that can come from it. But I might be ignoring some of the like red flags that can also, that, sorry, not can, that will also follow it, that will also be part of it. You know, like, did you watch the Social Dilemma Netflix documentary? Yeah, it's really popular yeah, right now. I just now. finished it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just Guess finished I it, too. And I'm just thinking, like, th- those numbers of how they showed people's anxiety and depression have increased. And, like, the timing is so strongly correlated to, like, the, you know, the supreme power <laughs> of having social uh, media measurements and metrics and tools in the hands of younger and younger folks. You know, so... <sighs> I'm concerned. It's it's tough because I love this stuff so much. I love augmented reality, but I what I don't love is us not socializing as humans and like really losing it, losing touch with what made us human. Well, that's that's why I'm saying that is the joy that it, we could engineer it. So those are experiences that we do together. Like there is a place here in um, you know well you're in Southern California and mm-hmm. uh, did we did we get to go there um, two bit circus. We, we didn't did go we, together, but I have go. been okay. there. So Two Bit Circus, they have a video game. I think it can play up to like six or eight people, and it is a replication of a um, starship. Oh, did you play this one? Was that the one where you're like, it's like it's at four people and you're all facing away from each other, but it's all, you're all on a ship together? Yeah, I think it's like up to six people and somebody's doing like weapons and defense. Somebody is the captain, somebody is the engineer, someone's the science officer. So you have all these different stations and you have to communicate and the captain has to like dictate where resources are going and where the power is going. And then you have the person navigating, trying to avoid stuff. And then you have defense systems like shooting. Like that Mm. to me is what we should be doing more of. Why? Because we are collaborative society. And to teach the skills of working together, playing together versus playing in isolation is very different. That's the idea of the park. Like, oh, we go out, we have this experience together. We're all seeing this thing together. Like multiplayer is amazingly fun. You yes. can, you, it's, there, that, it's so good when you can walk away from, you know, we play it at the park, we take off our headsets and then we sit back and we laugh. And we, we talk about how somebody got pwned, you know, or all that other stuff <laughs> that comes with that connection of it versus I'm just going to go out and I'm play one player and I'm going to go out and I'm play one player. And I'm going to go out and I'm play one player. No, it's like, no, let's team up. 
like yeah. creating cool. more interaction so that one kid that's always playing one one player it's like oh they know this game you know the crazy thing is you see you know kids doing TikToks, and then if somebody sees them doing whatever dance then all of a sudden the kid runs into the background and starts doing the same dance because they know it yeah well what if you're just out at the park and you queue up that game and now the kids get another kid's getting notified and he's like oh cool let me join in and now you just made a new friend like that 100%. is more of what i would like to see but we have to think more of interaction instead of isolation yeah i mean i think of like the golden the, the golden example of what i even experienced the whole first two months that um pokemon go became popular in 2016 um i would oh, go yeah. to public places and parks that i would have never been otherwise and then as we were waiting to catch pokemon you'd actually meet people you'd crack up and talk about the nostalgia of having these pokemon and which pokemon meant a lot to them when they were kids and these are like these are real people I met in life that I would have never talked to. And we had commonality. We had common culture. We had stories that we could share, similar experiences, despite us being from, you know, widely different locations, places, and times. And yet, you know, this augmented reality overlay was able to pull us together into parks that we would have never been spending time in throughout the day. Now, did you, do you still have those friends? Do you have any of those that are you're, you're still in contact with? A couple. Yeah, like Kirk. That's awesome. Him for a little bit, but like, but maybe not all of them, you know? Cause no, no, but if you've made any friend, like, you, you can't have all the, you can't catch them all when it comes to friends, you know? You, you catch them all when it comes to Pokemon. Come on. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, but if you have a couple, that that's like amazing. It's something that's unifying. It was funny because I was actually out, uh, I think I was out with Patrick Gosky then and we were doing some filming and it was kind of crazy because oh. when we were out we were the only we were like surrounded by people but everybody was on their phones and we weren't and oh it felt God. really awkward and I was like oh man I'm just gonna hold my phone up here so people don't think there's something wrong with me wow. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like just walking around without my phone up it was like uh, I don't want to creep out anybody else out you know, it was really quite interesting. That is interesting. On that note of just like feeling out of place without a phone out, uh, I kind of had the opposite experience that was actually uh, an, artistics, an, an artistic um, thought experiment someone put together. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed by my actions after I realized I was a participant in this experiment unwillingly. This, um, <laughs> this artist put together bunch of mannequins um, wearing clothing that were all standing by a bus stop and uh, at night and had all of the mannequins hold an L, uh, LED light that faced their face and I, I, I kid you not I did not notice this so I'm standing with the group of people I thought I was standing with for a bus stop this was in Oakland California and wow. the, the bus door opens and then I, I, I waited to let the other people go on first no one moves, so I, I get on the bus. I turn around. Everyone in that group was a mannequin. <laughs> wow. But and you I were just like, in your virtual world. I was in my own virtual world. I was completely oblivious to the fact that there, these weren't even people. There weren't even people near me. And I was like, yeah. I felt like I'm so happy with whatever artist put that together because it's left a very big impact on me. Like, I'll never forget that. I also felt so embarrassed, like... How on that? Wow, I was so consumed with my phone, I didn't even realize these, these people weren't even people. These were mannequins. Well, that's, that's the weird thing, is because now 
we're losing our social connection to be able to identify other human beings. And now we'll talk about living in the matrix or living in the video game where other people show up as NPCs. Yeah. Non-player characters. You just have them off in the background. So when you, when a non-PC, when something happens to a non-PC, you don't really care. An NPC, you don't really care. You don't really feel empathy. That's true. It's only, it's, it's only those characters that you have connection with that right. you care about. So, so changing people to NPCs is problematic. Huge. And yeah, you want to you want to be able to have empathy. I I do. I think I feel like we've been leading up to us building the matrix. Though even like all the social media <laughs> apps that we have have turned everybody into a metric with the value and worth that is measurable. Mm-hmm. That's a very NPC kind of stat. Like. What's the stat yeah. of this boss that I have to fight? And you look at the yep. stat and then in a video game and like I see actually I've not see. I've seen more than once, like more like plenty of times where people actually only want to connect with certain people based off of their following count. Um, I used to do I still work with oh, a lot yeah. of influencers. I help like make some of their content as long as it's helpful and productive to humankind. <laughs> right. Um but I see some of the people that are like the leeches that are around those influencers that are that are in that extraction mode trying to extract value. And it's really bizarre to observe someone treat somebody differently based off of their perceived worth, based off of their following. Oh, yeah. No, I, I disconnect with people as soon as that happens. Mm-hmm. Like, because I've had people, you know, who've asked me and I'm like, I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm not keeping keeping up with that. There's certain certain metrics that I I do measure, but then I've also had you know people tell me I've saved their life because I actually had a real conversation with them and they were suicidal. That's what should matter more, but there's not really think, a metric for that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, or, and see, but the thing is, you know, it's getting us to be be better better humans. You know, we're we're not really taught that. We're not we're not taught a lot of the humaning. So we're taught right now that these numbers are valuable. So um, you know, you want to accumulate the things that are valuable. So I, I consider most people victims of society because the social engineering that's being taken place, it requires a significant amount of consciousness, awareness of several different industries and categories and subjects to understand what's actually taking place. And even then it's hard. Right. And even then it's hard to understand like, what psychology is being used against you in marketing? What oh. NLP language is, is being used to program you to, to feel a certain way so you buy a, a different product? What images on screen are, are built to arouse a certain you know, emotional states within you? Like, great, and how many times have you seen that? And can you finish this tune? Like, oh. all these different things are being programmed into us. So it's social engineering, it's not just marketing anymore. It's no. engineering behavior. There's conversion rates. There's click-through rates. There's all these different things. It's, yeah, it's, it's a science. You know, one thing that we can do as humans to maybe counteract some of the social engineering that's kind of just thrust upon us is, um, is trying to take more activities of being uh, conscious. So I like to try to do a lot of self-inward refle- reflection when I notice like a bad pattern of myself. And I save it. I save it. So let me give you an example. Um, if I notice, like, I'm spending a lot of time on my phone screen and, uh, and it's like certain videos are capturing my attention, um, 
whenever I stop to actually consume an ad and I watch the entire ad by choice, I actually save it on my device and study it afterwards to understand why did this, of all things, stop me in my tracks when I swipe through everything, I watch this full ad. What, like I try to break it down. What, what, was, what happened in this that did that to me? And then I, and once I write that down or you know, verbalize it, I usually use like an audio uh, and I try to explain it to myself. I'm a, it's easier for me to explain it in words to myself. And when mm -hmm. I listen back to it, I then assess, is that something I want in my life? Does that add value to my life? Or does that, does that subtract value from my life? And if it subtracts some value, then I'm, I'm going to have to do some self-discipline, some kind of punishment <laughs> for, 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 for spending time on something that actually subtracted value from my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that, I mean, that's a, amazing. And, but think about this. What percentage of people do you think that are doing something like that? Oof. Uh, yeah. Not a lot. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I attribute that mindset for mine happened after like, you know, like had to be like a near death experience in my own physical go. life. <laughs> so that's when I got the ability to, to like, oh, I have to, like, I didn't have a choice to look inwardly at some point in, in life. And now it's just yeah. it's easy, easier for me to get to that point and just look in and say, oh, I need to change this right now if I want to get better. I don't want to be, you know, like in trouble for long. So think about someone, you know, 10 years younger, 15 years younger mm -hmm. that hasn't had that experience. You know, they're they're up against the best in the world when it comes to marketing, the best in the world when it comes to manipulating consciousness behavior. Dang. You know, and awareness. So, you know, one thing that I, I would encourage everybody, you know, here's here's a quick thing, you know, like because consciousness is a, is a hard subject. It's like, a, a, you know, there's tons of books and stuff about it written right. but one thing you can do is if you can just become aware of your breath just the way that you breathe by itself you see just just by me saying that you've already changed the way that you breathe because your awareness <laughs> it's true was put on it right and often our awareness is being harvested by the machines by the screens right we feel that we're consuming that but really they're consuming us they're consuming our attention our attention is the commodity, right? That's the worth commodity is attention. Too. Yeah, it's, it's worth everything. I mean, human attention is literally worth everything in the world. <laughs> if you can do manipulate one thing and you can manipulate attention, you can dictate every story because you're literally activating what's known as the reticular activating system or the RTS uh, system. Mm -hmm. Or RAS, yeah, reticular activating system, the RAS system, mm -hmm. which pushes certain things to the forefront of your mind and other things to the background, right? It's like if you look at a polka dot pattern, yes. right, that has all these different colors, and I told you to find red and look for red, and you're counting up all the different red ones, everything that's not red gets moved into the background. And it's, it's a very, yeah, so it just, it just doesn't hold priority. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you take a look at media, you take a look at advertising and everything else, it, it's telling you what is a priority. Your news feed, your friends feed, you know, the people you follow are telling you what's a priority. So you can feel bad about yourself very easily because you're not reaching the level that these things that are within your queue that are looked at as important, that should be important because you're 
RAS system is saying, hey, these things are important. You're seeing them all the time. Look for these different things. Looking for it. And, and, yeah, and, and you keep looking for that, that person that's in shape, that person that has this car and all this, and you're not there. Well, you're going to feel bad about yourself. Right. You're, you're, you're going to feel bad about yourself. And that's why you see depression, loneliness, and all these other things. So, yeah, being aware of just your breath and seeing, like, holding on and trying to put as much awareness into, like, smooth, ryth- rhythmic breathing will give you a lot more choice. If you're like, okay, just in my normal breath, is this something that I want to see? Is this something that I don't? But if you're just unconscious in that, you know, your breath can really bring you back into the body. And, and that's where you could, it's good to make decisions from. Instead of what's being programmed, you can actually feel it. That's some beautiful life advice. Um, Are you familiar with the dorsal striatum, that part of the brain? Oh, no, but I'd like to be. It's one of my favorite (laughs) parts of the brain to be aware of because of it can be your best friend or it can be your actual worst enemy. And we all have it in our brain. Um, It's near the top middle, kind of in the middle between the two hemispheres. Um, but not at the very center of your brain. So it's kind of in the higher mid-level spot. It's called your dorsal striatum. And what it does is it's your habit circuit. It's the circuit Uh. that gets fired on, that actually releases dopamine and makes you feel good if you do something that you've done before. It's your habits. And and it's very rewarding to do stuff that you've done before. It's very, literally very chemically rewarding to repeat something that you've repeated. But here's the weird part about the dorsal striatum. It's agnostic to what the thing is that you're repeating. So if you're doing something that um, benefits your life and adds value to it and helps you live longer, it's actually going to be very happy to help you repeat that behavior. If that's something that, you, that you've done in the past, it's going to really want you to do it again. But if you have a, a different behavior that actually dis- detracts from your life, lowers your health, makes you miserable or unhappy uh it actually if it sees that you've done it before it's like oh we should keep doing that it doesn't it doesn't really care about you and your well-being it just cares about the actual form of habit and repetition Mm. yeah i talk a lot about that that's the dorsal striatum so yeah i'm i'm aware of habits and how they form just knowing the actual uh, place of it and the effect of it and it doesn't matter what it is it's like you're developing that muscle memory and i you know i I tell a lot of people as i work with them through different traumas that have happened throughout their life or when they're making a decision and this is something that i always tell people like okay you know you want to be as you know honest about this and you want to be as heart-centered about this and you want to you want to come from authenticity and the reason why is you don't want to program your nervous system to think that these actions that are non-truthful or deceptive or uh, manipulative in any way is okay. Right. You don't want to train your nervous system to do that, right? And when you take an action and you complete that action, you have literally now just sent a message unit to your body saying this is okay. Wow. Now you repeat that. And this is how you program the nervous system. And this is where like a lot of people will experience different traumas, but still be drawn to it. So yeah, knowing that dorsal, yeah, dorsal um, what's it called? Striatum. striatum. It's a weird dorsal word. Striatum. Um, yeah, I like it, just, it though. It's your habit circuit. And for me, it's helped just to be aware of it. Because then like whenever I'm noticing a habit of myself, I'm like, 
ah, I'm only strengthening my striatum right now. I should really mm-hmm. try strengthening my prefrontal cortex or maybe just give my limbic area a break, you know, not stress yeah. so much. <laughs> um, well, well the, the, the really interesting thing is like one of the things that you're doing when you're processing stuff like that is something that's actually really harder for generations born after 1980 to oh. do. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. So if you take a look at what, um, how we were being programmed, right? So mm-hmm. television was our main programmer. Before that, we had newspapers, but you'd have to be able to read. And reading actually activates uh, part of the brain as well as develops your processing of um, what's it, con- being conscious yeah. as well as cognitive um abilities so you're you're thinking about what happens next like as you read a story Mm -hmm. your brain is actively putting together the story in your mind it's going through all these different you know layers to um be critical it's critical thinking ability right so people's critical thinking abilities back in the day you were reading a lot you know so you're consuming things in newspapers so you would have a lot of different debate and it, it would make sense because people's, you know, critical thinking was at a high level. Now, come into the 80s and with the invention of Sesame Street, you know, you can take a look at the different studies, but you see that our attention span for the majority of humans that were consuming, you know, these type of programs as we were being programmed from our television programs is our attention kept getting lower, right? So now yeah. we have this whole quote-unquote ADD and everything else where you take a look at what have we been programmed. If you take a look at how often a cut is made in our shows now oh, versus God. shows like Mr. Rogers, right? You'd have one solid camera for a significant amount of time. Like 20 minutes. Couple at, cuts. 15-minute yeah, takes. Couple cuts. Yeah. I watched SpongeBob, and I don't think I got... There were so many scenes that didn't have like a maximum uh, runtime of seven seconds. I couldn't like it, you never got to even seven seconds before there was a cut, an angle change, something, something, something. Like, cool for an action commercial. You know, you're gonna hype something up, but that was for long periods of time. And I think as I watched it for several minutes, the longest shot that I saw was 11 seconds, 11 or 13 seconds was single ca- same camera. Oh no. So this is really when you bad take news. a look so when you take a look at that yeah and now people can't actually hold their attention on something long enough and so you keep hitting people with TikToks and these little quick dopamine hits is little things that draw the memory like there's there's a reason why these clips are only designed to be as short as they are because now you can't even critically think you can only literally react you're not critically thinking you're only reacting Oh, this make me happy? Does this make me sad? Does this make me angry? Do I want to share? Do I want to like? Like very, very quick decision making. It's like don't even not think critical. about it. Yeah, it's just don't like, even think react. about it. Just do it. What was your reaction? So wow. now take a look at how easy it is to be able to push out information, misinformation, whatever the case may be, and get a reaction out of somebody, and they will actually take a real life action immediately, and not actually critically think about it. Yeah, I think that actually would go straight past their prefrontal cortex, which wouldn't even have a chance to process it. Because if you get somebody in, if you only make people react emotionally, you're triggering the limbic system, which is actually much faster response rate than your prefrontal cortex. 
but your limbic system doesn't process thoughts. It doesn't think. It just feels and senses. And so, like, if you... It sucks. I'm so sad to say this because, like, this is, like, the most successful way to manipulate and control people is to basically don't even give their brain a chance to do processing. Just go straight to the reaction circuit and well, keep triggering them. It's, it's a horrible, horrible propaganda technique that is extremely effective, and we use it all the time in marketing. I, I personally don't use that so much. Um, the I have. Uh, well, marketing the, approach. Yeah, so here's something to, to know in, uh, as far as this, governments do this. Um, mm-hmm. any, anybody in propaganda does this, and, and great marketers do this. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's okay. Yeah. But you have to understand what you're doing. Um, and so many people don't care. It's like, okay, profit over everything. But how it works is the little thing, the Hegelian dialectic, I believe it's called. Ooh, or, I have not heard is, of that. Yeah, Hegelian dialectic, which is prob- problem-reaction-solution. Whoa. Right? So you give somebody a problem or you make some, someone aware of a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So you activate that RAS center, right? Ah, so now okay. they're looking at this is the problem, right? Yes. So you can do this for just about anything. And, and you use this. You can do this. is really good for starting wars and crap like that, too. Right. Um, problem. There is an attack somewhere. You tell people that they should be outraged, they should be afraid, they should be whatever. Mm-hmm. Insert emotional. And you keep, yeah, so you, you tell them problem, reaction, you're telling them how they should react. Okay. So here's the problem. We've actually given you the code that says this is your reaction. And you keep hitting them with those two things. Problem, reaction, problem, reaction, problem, reaction. These people did this. That's an outrage. These people did this. That's disrespectful. These people did that. That's absolutely unacceptable. These people do that. They're putting your children in danger. They do this, that, and now solution. And then you sell them the solution. We need to get rid of all those type of people. Yikes. We need to, um, you know, make sure that your children don't go outside. We need to make sure that all this, all these different things are installed in your home. We need to doesn't matter because wow. your RAS system is looking for that thing. It's a danger. It's a danger. Now I associate this person or this event mm-hmm. with my, my reaction. I'm already, I'm already trained for that. And I already know the solution because that's been sold to me by the marketer, the government, the agency, the you know, organization, um, whoever it is. Problem, reaction, yes. solution. Problem, in, a reaction simple, solution. in a simple term... Mm-hmm. In a simple term, that, so that's on the more nefarious side. If you look at it in a more simple way, it's like, hey, are you tired of trying to reach for things and knocking them over on the shelf? Oh, man, problem. no, I made a mess again. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. problem reaction. This is so frustrating. Well, yeah. take the arm extender. The arm extender makes it so easy. And then you show the person happy reaching up the shelf and just grabbing something. Look, no mess. Ta-da. That's the... That's the easy as seen on TV sale, um, right. but it's done on, on a different level when it comes to, you know, the, the, these bigger things. And it works either way. It just freaking yeah. works. It's I mean, crazy. it works like if, if anyone's familiar with clickbait, it's the same idea. Like when you oh, see a thumbnail clickbait. and you're like, I need to click on thirst this. trapping. Huh? <laughs> thirst trap. A good old <laughs> thirst trapping. Thirst traps are great <laughs> thirst, examples of uh, thirst trap. Yeah. Thirst traps. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the same thing. They, what, what, what was the what you said? It's reaction. Wait, what was it? Problem, reaction, <laughs> solution. Problem, reaction, solution. 
Got it. Yeah. yeah. PRS. PRS. Wow, that is a. I mean, I guess. I feel like it's, it's just a tool, you know. Like I don't want to hate mm-hmm. on that actual system because, like, human brain is designed like this, and it, and for whatever reason, it was helpful for us to evolve or whatever because of that system that was in place. Like it helped to get us to a, a certain point, but now <laughs> we yeah, don't. Yeah, the totally power in the hands of marketers. It. Yeah, in the hands of marketers, and th- and that's the the thing is we are critical. Our critical thinking is being done for us. Take a look at the majority of ads. You need uh-huh. more money. So here, here's another, let me give you another uh, little masterclass here in, in marketing too, some, yes, some of these little things is you're gonna go, a lot of marketing goes off of these three major things. Ready? Mm-hmm. Need, greed, and fear of loss. What? Those three? Need, greed, and fear of loss. Needs are fine. Water, food, shelter. Those okay. are easy. I sure. want people to sell me those. I'm traveling somewhere, fresh water, a place to rest, some of those basic needs. Yeah. Easy sells, you know? Mm-hmm. Fresh food, cool. Easy sell. Yeah. Greed is the luxury lifestyle everything. Oh. Not necessity at all, but... If you want to feel better than the person next to you, you want to feel more important, you want to feel a higher rank in the tribe, that's what it's connecting to and, and its social status. Oh, you want wow. to do that? Then mm-hmm. buy these different things. So you're right. appealing to people's greed, right? So one of the seven deadly sins, like you're roping them into that. And then you always need more. And this is why billionaires always need more. Because next yeah, to never you know, multi-billionaire, they feel broke. I only have a half billion dollars, and this guy has seven point five billion dollars. Well, well then you're broke. You're I'm super broke. broke. <laughs> I must compared. be broke, man. Right. Bro, this guy's rich. <laughs> so that whole idea of greed is, I want to have more than the next person, and then wow. fear of loss. Hurry, you know, time's running out. Hey, only this many left. Um, <laughs> you don't want to be one of the people that don't have it. Like limited time offer. That stuff. Call now. It, man. Impulse buying. I used to sell sell stuff door to door, just mm-hmm. just selling random things out of a bag and getting people to impulse buy. So if if you want to learn a skill mm-hmm. of connecting with people, is sell random items every day <laughs> to different people out of a bag. And uh, yeah, you, that's you'll a learn beautiful some metaphor for life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just reach in the bag, sell them something, you'll make a friend for life. Yeah, yeah, just reach in. What I got in here? Children's book. You have kids? No. You know somebody with kids, though, right? You know right? somebody with well, kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know somebody. Look, at, it only costs like $5, but the great thing about this book is it's filled with stories that will inspire and educate them, and you'll come off looking like an amazing grandpa. I or need cousin it now. Or I neighbor. Now. I don't like, want to be a you bad should, You should just buy it. Like, you're, you're not going to go You're not gonna go to the store and, and buy a book. You're not looking for that. But this opportunity just came to you right now. It's easy. So $5. It's, it's $5. I'm, I'm, yeah, and you're going to look better for it. Like, because you, you can show up like you always do, or you can show up with something for the, for your nephew. Like, show up some, with something for your nephew. Be, be cool for once. You look, this is my last one. This is my last one. So I, I can give it to the next guy, and he can look cool for his kid, or you can, you know, you can be that guy. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it makes sense. Yeah. It's like, I guess it's just important then for, I mean, how do you, well, I had this conversation with my partner recently, and I was like, how do we reach the next generation, which we are so concerned about because the attention spans, the social measuring constantly, 
uh, the every you know a lot, just a lot of issues. And part of me was thinking, what if I provided educational content that is designed for extremely short form instant gratification consumption? Use the same tools and techniques that other folks are doing for maybe harm. Do the same techniques to like educate or enlighten or inspire. Is that work? Yeah, I mean, or is that so bad? some of the. So it's not necessarily bad because what happens is it actually implants the idea. But the thing is, people need to have the experience of it because you can't really teach critical thinking without people critical thinking. They right. actually have to do yeah. the processing, right? It's the difference between knowing what to eat and how to eat right and then actually eating right. So you can uh, educate yeah. to a point, but these actions have to take. Now, if it's going to be like, cool how many you know kids learn how many millions of kids learn that next dance well dancing's cool dancing's good it helps them move the body and stuff like that now you know more people working out and sharing that but mm -hmm. like when it comes to reading critical thinking being compassionate and not just being compassionate because i saw it and i replicated it but i can actually feel it in my body yeah, a lot of times right. this is where people are just doing the reaction mm -hmm. instead of being able to have choice and what we want to do is develop and strengthen our ability to critical think and then choose what we would like to have happen next. Yes. Not, this is what my guru said, this is what the internet said, this is what whatever. I feel that this is the right thing to do for me based on what I want to experience in this life and it, it feels right for me and I can do that versus, oh, everybody else is doing it, I should just do it. Yes. I, I mean, was just told this thing, right. let, let me just do this thing. If you're yeah. listening to this podcast right now, there are some awesome things you can do for the next generation. I saw this documentary uh, about a school in Sweden that's trying to provide a lot more agency to women and create a lot more egalitarian societies for the next generation. And one thing that they're doing that I've like, I don't know why, I've never heard of this until now, and I'm like, that's so simple but also brilliant, is he's, um, the, the teachers are, are helping get the young girls, like the, the four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds that are entering in these preschools, helping them to um, do what you just said, which was make decisions and choose. Um, and so the example is they would give them like options, like would you like to, you know, do, would you like to wear purple boots today or these other boots, okay? And then basically rewarding them for thinking about like what do they want and then why, like wh what's the difference between these shoes and then rewarding them for the idea that you made a decision. That's awesome, cool, it's, you got It's valuable. And they're teaching that as a, something to, to encode into their programming from a young age so that when that person gets older and the decisions aren't as simple as which shoes do I wear, maybe, you know, which career path do I want to take, which, uh, which friends should I associate with, which, uh, you know, you could then think critically and then be rewarded for making a decision that's based off of critical thought instead of just reactive. That, that is really beautiful because I have to tell you that is probably one of the biggest thing that I work with women of all ages in um, teaching intimacy and in, in that whole world is helping women get empowered with their voice because however we've done things in society we've done a really bad job of letting women understand and understand I'll use that word it's a bit better Ooh, understand I've never heard the that value and understand the value of their voice where they can actually know that it's valuable. And the voice of women is so valuable because it is often connected usually to the heart. Like a lot of women are coming from a really heart-centered place. 
the nurturing aspects of them in nature, right? And a lot of that has been overridden. So, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of the, the beauty and the power of women's voice and the nurturing and that care because we've been kind of living in a really, you know, we consider things the patriarchy, but part of that is just a really logical-based society. And now this logic-grand society you, sees emotions as something to be manipulated and not necessarily something to work with. <laughs> you know, or so, something that's, it, like, beautiful and, and helpful, yeah. you know? Like, I'm, you know, just emotional intelligence is, is on the rise right now. Or, I mean, like, the awareness of it as being something valuable and worthy. And, like, if you have a whole generation of people that don't have emotional intelligence, they make decisions that are worse off for everybody, which is not actually oh, practical yeah. in the long run. You'll run out yeah. of everything. If, you, if everyone's selfish and heartless, everyone loses. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's kind of, you know, we, we put value. Like, value has been established as what gives, you know, really good returns. So it's not necessarily what's best for humanity, but usually what gives the highest return. So I think some of these other metrics need to change, you know, what we're actually valuing so that um, all of human behavior will change. The reward system is everything, you know, and if, if money gets you, you know, your ideal partner and gets you, you know, the admiration of your peers and all these other things, but altruism and being loving and kind don't, well, I think I'm going to go after the money. You know, and that's the weird, weird part is where we stand right now. So I, th I think there's things we can do to improve that. And there's a lot of people out there trying to do consciousness work. And, you know, the, the Heart Math Institute is a great place, too, talking about uh, heart-mind coherence. Uh, yeah. jo Dr. Joe Dispenza and that. So there's, there's a lot of different resources out there. But now we need to get the engineers, right, the social yes. engineers, the people who are programming these different experiences to start thinking and incorporating how does this actually train the person who's consuming this to bring more beauty to the world, not just more profit and beauty, you know, from ecology and balance and uh, right. kindness and all the things that we value. Um, that we consider good human traits um, more than profit, right? Because we've just, yeah. yeah. We've, um, I mean, we definitely talked before, and I think you actually had a strong idea on what is the solution. Um, you talked about how does one apply the creative process to life, as I think might be a nice, like, I think you described that really beautifully in our last conversation as maybe being one of those solutions to how we kind of solve these bigger problems. So what is, uh, you know, what kinds of, um, sorry, how does one apply the creative process to life? Yeah, definitely. So we currently look at the canvas of our screen as something that we're trying to, you know, build a, a pretty image for or to communicate a certain message and everything else. But if we could actually take that same process and look at to our life experience like what are we actually creating here right mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is so our canvas for the computer is our canvas but our canvas for life is actually time Ooh. and within that time we get to have all these different experiences but we are the directors we're the editors we're the writers of our own experience and we're the actors. We're wow. the main talent. 
<laughs> right? So when you look at it that way, and you have that internal dialogue with yourself, the director knows where that story's going. And I would say you work with your director to kind of start mapping out this beautiful vision of your life. And, you know, I have an entire process um, that I take people through these protocols and it's, it helps people build their ultimate life blueprint, right? Because mm -hmm. back again, when we're architecting, without that plan, without that blueprint, where are you going? What does your life actually look like? You don't know. Yeah, it's you don't a have series a of random decisions. If you don't have yeah, a map. You don't, know, you don't know what integrity is. You don't know if these things are going to hold, if these things are going to fall. If, are these things really safe? I don't know. You know? Wow. So I help yeah. people, people map that all out. But once you, once you have that mapped out, then you can sit in the director's chair. Right. Some some people's parents are, are in the director's chair because you might be younger, um, but some right. of them you might be older and your parents are still in there because you haven't become the director of your life or your boss is your director or you EA. have somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So so you, you have someone else in this position, but the director of your life, when you look at it creative, creatively, is directing you to create that story. Right. Is to create that entire story. Wow. Now. As you go about being the actor now, you have to live those different things. So you might be at a certain place and let's say you're, you're starting off your career. Like, okay, I just started off my career and here I am. And the director's like, okay, you're a young man or a young woman and you're thinking about college or you're, you're in a mix and you're an artist and you're a little bit unsure about yourself, but you're very passionate and go. Like, so wow, that's it. That's such a good metaphor. Right? It's so clear in my <laughs> so, head. So oh it's my like, God. okay, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. All right, now, director's like, okay, okay, we got that. Now you're the script writer too. So at this part of the story, <laughs> you come in and say, all right, so we have this confused, you know, young man or woman or whatever they are. <laughs> right. And then they start studying, you know, Cinema 4D and they take these different courses and they go to MoGraph and they do all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, montage. Hit them with the montage of all the training. Like, you, you know, hit them with that. Hit, hit them with, you're the best around. This year is the eye of the tiger. You know, you hit them with all that, right? So um, you, you get to that montage of how they're growing and developing. And now you have them on the other side. And the director's like, okay, so now you're, you're through this different thing. And you go and you make that big pitch. All right, you're going in there like, all right, I already did the montage, I already did this other stuff, right. and then you make your big pitch. All right, here's my first company, my first studio, you're going in with a pitch. All right, I have great energy, I'm this mm -hmm. person who went through my montage, I'm ready, hit him with you're my ready. reel and everything. Boom. And no call back. Ooh. Right? Guess what? This is where the editor comes in. Now, I can sit on that shot of no thank you uh we don't feel like your art was you know good enough all right i'm gonna lock on that shot and i'm going to slowly pull away so it's just you in the room looking at that email and Whoa. it's really slow it's it kind of depressing forget that let's re-edit that let's do a quick cut oh man that's garbage delete all right okay. cut to there cut to them walking up to the next job Cool. Cut again to the next one. Cut again to the next one. Cut again to the next one. Oh, just landed it. Cool. Cut to them working on their first project. That's what you can actually do for yourself as wow. the editor. Right? So now you're having creative power in your life. But the whole thing is we thought we only had creative power on the screen. We actually have creative power in our life because we are dictating how we see our reality. 
no one else determines that right. but our internal voice so you want to be able to strengthen your internal voice you want to be able to strengthen the voice of your director you want to know the type of character that you want to be you know you want to yes. know that you can edit any situation that can make it into a challenging thing that you overcome or you can change any little defeat into a spiral of defeat and your movie that was once a romantic comedy or an action adventure now just became a drama tragedy based on how you edit it. Wow, because yeah, you can take the same footage, the same clips of your life, and if they're rearranged differently, then you can have a totally different story. In and the- that means everything. And that can help you determine what your character does next. Because if you look at the backstory, you're going to want to stay in alignment with your character, right? But the whole thing is you can change your character. Yeah. And all you have to do is create an event in your life that helps your character change. It could be, you know, that one moment where they looked at something that was really inspirational and that started. A lot of times you'll you'll hear about this in the hero or heroine's journey is they'll go off and you might, you know, take a camping trip out in nature alone or you spend a day out in nature alone you just sit back and you you meditate and you have this epiphany and then you go it happens this yeah. is what we do as human beings but we we are not really aware of that process so becoming aware of the process and the tools the creative tools that are available to you in your own life that's one of the things i do as a universal consultant and transformational guide is helping people understand it and empower themselves in these different roles so they can go off and better design their life I got to say, that's some of the most beautiful advice I've ever heard in, in, in life. And that application of the creative process as like being the director, the editor, the story writer, that's such a beautiful metaphor. So like, just thank you so much for those words. Um, oh, man, it's, it's yeah, my some, pleasure. Definitely got some more questions, but that one, that like really hit home for me. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know. You know I, Isn't I, that crazy, though? Like, it's crazy because it actually is like that. But we are so used to the external process of creating this beautiful film for other people. But then we don't look at the film that we're, we're actually creating for ourselves. Wow. Yeah. See, that's amazing. You, you talked about before, you know, the difference between um, a perspective versus a perception. And I think it kind of aligns to how you can help train the eye to recognize who's the director of your life and who's, who's the one that's guiding it. Um, do you want to chat a little bit about what is the difference between a perspective and a perception? Yeah, definitely. This is, this is a really powerful tool that I, I use, and I actually um, do some training in person usually in, uh, back in the outside days. Um, <laughs> we would be able to actually have people have an experience of perspective and perception, right? But this is something that anybody can do, and um, the, the, this is something that actually it's an exercise, so I'll... You can do it now. Um, So if you're listening to this and you're not driving and you're in a safe place, one of the things you can do is hold your finger in a well-lit room, right, or outside, somewhat like about a foot away from your face, right? And you can just keep it right there in the middle. And you want to focus on your finger and look at all the detail of your finger, right? And you'll notice as you do that, it's kind of like a rack focus. Everything beyond your finger is out of focus, right? Now, if you keep your eyes in the same position, but now focus beyond your finger, right? You might see two fingers, your finger's kind of blurry, but everything in the background is now in focus, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you bring your attention and focus back to your finger, 
and you actually lower your finger without allowing your eyes to focus, everything will still stay blurry. It's a hard thing to do, and you got to practice it. Right? <laughs> I'm struggling with right. that last one, but it is. It. So, so, but the thing is, one of the things you can do just to practice is moving your focus to the finger and then beyond to the finger and then beyond. So, what is happening is that right there is perception. You're changing your perception because you're perceiving things that are in the near ground, the foreground, certain things are coming to the front, other things are getting pushed to the back. Whoa. Right? <laughs> That's really right? cool. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And then when you find that you can soft focus your eyes, you can have everything out of focus. Right? So that's a little bit more advanced thing, but it's something you know worthwhile developing. Um, you can rack focus your own eyes, because like, so that's something we can actually do. Um, wow. So that is a shift in perception. And if your camera is locked off and you're only perceiving things close to you, Everything else is going to be blurry. You're not going to really be able to make it out. So you're not going to really see those things. And that's a perception shift. A perspective shift is now I was looking at my finger. It was in the middle of my head. Now let me actually move my head to the right and I can see the other part of my hand. Yes. Oh, okay. This perspective, I can see more than was actually there before or I can see things differently, right? But I'm yeah. still in the same focal plane I'm just looking at the same thing from the same uh, focal plane. So being able to shift both your perspective and your perception are two things to be developed as human beings, right? Wow. Because then it gives us the ability to pu push certain things into the background. Let's say our failures, we don't want up in our face, right? So let's push those things a little bit further back. So my, the way that I perceive those are things that I've overcome, right? Right. And now I'm going to perceive opportunities. I'm going to have my RAS, you know, filter on for opportunities for growth, opportunities to get me closer to my goals and to live a life more according to the script that I have laid out of being a successful, happy, loving, you know, a person with a beautiful community of friends and family. Right. So I'm going to look for that and I'm going to adjust my perception so I can actually perceive those things. Yes. And now the perspective that I take, if something's not in that alignment and I don't see that, well, then I'm going to adjust where I'm looking at it from. Am I looking at it from a place of a victim? Well, I need to adjust my perspective on this. And that's where, you know, the editing can help and things like that. Or, you know, okay, the, mm -hmm. the director's looking at that and it's like, you know what, that fills off. You know, from looking at it that way, our camera's above the character. That makes them, you know, seem really small. We're really pulled out. Let's do this. Let's take that shot. And now let's swing the camera low while they get up and raise their chest up so we're shooting up at them so it looks triumphant. Wow. Oh, that's powerful. Ooh, all right. Let's do that. Now I feel that transition. Okay, yeah, let's do that one. And now you had a whole perspective shift. And wow. you were seeing yourself once again as this little person that was defeated and down. But now you just shifted that perspective and you see yourself as, so, you know, that hero that has gone through that hard time. And it's that moment where Batman or Superman or, you know, Captain America just rises up. Yes. You know, again, I can do this all day. You know, <laughs> that's it. Wakanda forever. Point. And it's yeah, crazy so how, you, yeah, in camera work, you know, you can totally change. 
we change perspectives all the time. I think of like Cinema 4D, if I want to make you feel a certain way about the character, we'll move the camera in a certain way, give it a certain angle, light it, choose the focal length, all that stuff. And then exactly that's such a good point you could just change the camera and then now the viewer of that footage is like oh that's the hero you know that's not the victim of this like piece you know and that's what you want to be doing with your life literally because what we see in our mind first right in that beautiful uh you know computer screen within our mind when we close our eyes and we imagine and this is why mm-hmm. Einstein said imagination is more important than innovation, I think it was, or something like that. There's a quote out there. Look it up on the Internet. It's probably wrong. But there's something <laughs> about imagination is, you know, greater than something. Einstein said it. Look it up. I will. Um, but <laughs> the, the whole concept is what you can imagine strongly in your mind is pretty much akin to your reality. Like, right. if you're looking at things within your mind and that's a story that internally is there, everything else will align to that story. So if you look at yourself as on a triumphant journey and you're overcoming these obstacles, the bad things that happen to you will be told in that internal dialogue, oh, and then the hero over, you know, had this obstacle and they broke their leg and they were down for two months and then, you know, they started walking and whatever and then they started, you know, building up their strength and went through rehab and all these other things and then they actually, right. you know, ran a time faster than they ever did before. Wow. I found Very the quote. Story. It ah. says, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world there you go who said that einstein yeah he was pretty smart atomic bomb <laughs> just i'm just throwing it out there folks atomic <laughs> bomb that's how we bring it full, full circle for that's you a full circle of imagination <laughs> yeah so yeah imagining so you want to be able to and that's where i'm saying your critical thinking right because if you yeah. don't have these processes and i've i've learned the, this when I overcame having a major sports injury and I tore my ACL, my meniscus, and in my recovery, you know, I was alone on a, you know, hospital bed while everybody else was training in football, you know, American football. And I was, you know, sitting back and thinking about it. And, you know, the ACL back when I played and stuff like that and tearing that, it used to be called the kiss of death Mm -hmm. as far as that was the end of your career. And it's a very emotional injury to be injured um, as, as extreme as I was at an early age because so much of your, my identity at least was wrapped up with sports and everything else. So wow. going through that recovery time, I, I read a book called The Power of the Subconscious Mind and The One Hour Orgasm and that helped me you know, go on to all my other training in cosmic sexuality and all that other stuff. But The Power of the mm-hmm. Subconscious Mind was used everywhere. And so I, I came to really understand how am I programming myself? Right. Oh, I have access to the source code. I can expresso this. I can Python this. Like we have, we have that ability. We totally. So that was, yeah. So that was something that I luckily got equipped with. And as I learned that, you know, try to share with other people. So you're not just stuck thinking that you're only the person that you are today. You can actually code yourself out of this. You can actually create yourself out of this. You can actually shift your perspective, shift your story, shift your habits, shift your routines, and you will literally be another person because every seven years, all of our cells replicate anyway, so we are literally a new person. Yeah. There's not a single cell in your body from seven years ago that you can say was physically you today. It's It's not physically possible. So that's why we want to connect with our ability 
our internal dialogue, our internal systems, so we can guide the next iteration of our character. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you, you totally get it. I mean, I, I'm hearing the way you're phrasing this is like, I can hear that you, you have the, you have a bigger picture. You have a, you're, you have the ability to switch the lens a lot of your perceptions. So when you want to, you can throw on a macro lens and you can look at the details, but then you also have the ability, you're, you're the photographer and the DP. You can actually just switch to a wide field of view if you want and like play with the variable lens if you like to play with that too. And it's like, some people re- don't know that they can switch out the lens. Yeah. That, that's the thing is a lot of times we're locked in a perspective or we're locked in perceptions. But the, once you understand that, oh, wow, those are just sliders. <laughs> those, those are literally just sliders. They're you just don't sliders. have. Those are just sliders, folks. And you, you might have, you know, your parents might have told you to. Yeah, yeah, your parents might have told you to like set a key keyframe on it and never change it. You know, set a <laughs> key. The whole keyframe. Yeah, put it for the whole keyframe, or they'll tell you put a protection tag on that and just like lock it down. <laughs> They put a constraint on your like yeah. adaptability tag. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a second, this doesn't go past 36, you know, degrees. What kind of kind of camera is this? Honestly, so, um, to, to, yeah, man, to speak to that exact example, I was like in a little spot of depression for a little bit, like like around 22. I, I moved back home. I wasn't happy at home. Like family, they're loving, they're great, but I wanted to like, you know, like it wasn't like college, and so. I kept thinking that I couldn't like do anything about it and I was just going to have to endure. And it was my older sister who was like, you can move. You're not a tree move. You need to reach like, you need to focus, like raise them enough money to like live somewhere else and then move. You're not a tree. And like, I, you know, I thought there was a hold. I thought there was a constraint tag on mm-hmm. my life that said, you have to live in this house and you don't have a choice but it was like my sister who like revealed like the parameters window and it's like you realize you're not actually a hold keyframe <laughs> you know like yep. you can actually like you're not at all like so she, you know just having someone external that wasn't in that wasn't me say that from a loving and caring position put me in such a better spot it was like oh my god i thought it was a hold keyframe she's like no dude you have all the keyframes you can you can you can change it you can change the it's, value of the curve yeah right now it's, it's phenomenal and and kudos to your sister for for you know helping you get that you know perspective you know and and being able to see the, the parameters you know that that's a big thing and that's that's something that you know i i've worked with people who are you know 50 60 years old that yeah. are finally starting to feel freedom because they were locked in these perspectives and perceptions and never understood their own internal power to adjust and recreate their own reality. Wow. That's kind of right? like so when you, you don't start animate. Feeling free. If you don't animate for like a long time, you forget where the keyframes are. You might forget where a menu is hidden and stuff. <laughs> and like, yeah, and, and worse than that, you don't even think it's animatable. You, don't even, you didn't even know that you could change that parameter. Oh, Damn, you thought it was just like hardwired. That's into just the, the way it is. Oh, yeah, that's a limit. It's a limitation. Oh, we, well, we yeah, that's just a limitation just, of the program. Wow. It can't. It doesn't animate. What do you oh. mean you can animate in this? Damn, <laughs> Wait, if you're you can in that position. This? Wow, that's so much worse. <laughs> like, yeah, and that, that's how it is. That, that's how it is for a lot of people, and that's that's what I feel are some of the things that we should be teaching. You know, uh, students in school. And teaching the next generation is understanding the creative process, period. 
you know, and how you can apply yeah. it to every area of life and not just to creativity, you know, but to every experience you're having. Man, um, you know, I want to, you know, I, I, I love where this is going, but I definitely want to like bring it in with the, some home runs. And one of the things is you're writing a book and the title of it, I don't know if this is the title, but it's um, what I have written down here is that uh, the five most important things you don't learn in school. Um, That's it. That's the title. Oh, that is the title. Yeah. Amazing. So how's that process going? Like, is there anything that you want this, you know, listeners here to know about the book that, she, that they should yeah, be interested so, I mean, in? Some of the stuff for? that I talked about here, yeah, some of the stuff that I talked about here will be covered in it. Like, this has been a far too long process. Like, this is, this is, gone, I've gone through so many different things and in writing the book, had my identity stolen which i added into like the book Whoa. like oh this is a thing this is something you need to know about as an adult like no one really tells you about these different things you hear about it but yeah. there's a whole slew of things i learned about like telecommunication and these other little uh different branches of telecommunication that affect your credit but aren't credit there's there's so many of these little different worlds as adults that you learn usually trial by fire that are essential to your life like think of telecommunication and getting a new phone right that actually goes through a certain um a, a certain agency that doesn't actually check your credit it's a whole nother telecom agency oh. around that but we don't even know about it we don't know about it we don't know how that whole system works but let us go a day without our phone so the the book is packed with very practical applications and it goes through the five most important things which i consider the core things with if you don't have those under wraps it's harder to move into higher states of consciousness which are communication and relationships you know being able to navigate those and those are both internal and external you know health in the human body and that's dealing with mental emotional physical health nutrition understanding that you know the basics. These are just understanding these systems as a whole. So health in the human body, how to make money, how to manage money in the legal system, wow. at least for the U.S. So it gives you a really good foundation there so mm -hmm. that you understand how to use the, those systems and adjust the sliders for each of them and <laughs> some of the best practices for each of them. So like to me, this was the ideal book for people who are stepping into adulthood or, you know, uh, on their way to adulthood or adults that don't feel like they have a real firm grip on their life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, get this. You can look at it and see how you are in each of these areas. And with some really good points that if you just know the things in this book, you'll be better off than getting an A in trig. You know what I mean? Them see the parameters that they don't even yeah. know exist for their life. Yeah. And it's like there might be things that you're just not managing at all that you're like, oh, you know, I'm just not managing this at all. I need to do some things to get my legal documents in order. I need to do some things to, you know, manage my money differently. You know, my relationships are crap because I'm not communicating honestly. Like just really little things that will, will you know, if they were taught in school, then as an adult, we'd be much better off. So, um, wow. and, and to get more information on that, you can just go to Matthias, M-A-T-H-I-A-S, Omatola, O-M-O-T-O-L-A.com. Just sign up for my newsletter. I'll, you know, be updating. But this has been far too long of a journey, but I'm looking to have it out 
um, this year at long last is, you know, Yay. perfect for quarantine, you know, a quarantine year, just like because we're being shown that, you know, we have to start doing things differently. Right. And hopefully this book and uh, the Ford was written by Chris Doe. So uh, from the no future, way. so I'm really happy about oh that. God. Yeah, so, <laughs> so cool. yeah, so because uh, he's somebody that you know shares education and, and what he's doing there is empowering so many people to look at things differently, and I, I really appreciate him. And uh, yeah, I talked about this a couple of years ago on his show when I was working on it, mm-hmm. and then it was one hurricane after another. So now it's just like I'm on that final, final, uh, final frames. You know, I got the last couple frames out. Yeah, let them render out. There you go. It's (laughs) it's painful. It's painful. But the thing is this, and another thing I've seen that I've been in my own way, it's like once I actually get the ball rolling, I cannot stop. And I'm already full time with Max on and everything else. So I have to find a way to put it all in perspective. So once I get this going, I can still maintain and support everybody else with this you know it's not just you drop it and let it go this this i'll have courses and you know different transformational programs to help people really be empowered on a whole different level well i'm super excited to read it whenever it comes out and i know you're putting your heart and your energy and you're all into it and so if any of the folks listen to this like any of the words you're hearing from matthias you should definitely definitely read the book because i mean He's like just dropping gems left and right, and, and they're meaningful. They're, they're heartfelt. They, it's like someone cares <laughs> about your long-term and now well-being. So, um, I do, man. I do. Like, I, this is my nerd family. Like, if, you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably in my nerd family. Like, I, I really miss you know, the outside days and get, getting together. So the, the whole reason why I built this stuff is because I saw how um, you know, young adults were being treated and especially artists. There was so much and my degrees in economics. So I know a lot about systems, but artists were not really trained on these different systems and were at a major disadvantage because they didn't know about them. And I saw my friends, people that I cared about, people that are creative and awesome suffering for, from such basic things. And it was frustrating. And I, I just thought it was so unfair. So that's where a lot of this comes from is like, Mm-hmm. making sure that everybody's taken care of that I care about, you know, because I'm a nerd too. I just happen to have an economics degree. <laughs> you know, Nerds if, I, if I went a different route, I wouldn't know. So we got we to gotta take care of each other. 100%. Matthias, where can people find anything else about you? Like, like where? Yeah, for the, sure. Yeah, so everything's just Matthias Omatola. So um, like YouTube, subscribe on that. I'm going to be doing a lot on YouTube to start talking Amazing. more about like human relating. So that would be, you know, YouTube.com. I think it's like a C and then forward slash Matthias Omatola. So just subscribe now. I have nothing up there. But subscribe anyway. Yes. That's where it's going to be. So subscribe to that. And then I'll, um, you can find me on everything. So Twitter, same thing, Matthias Omatola. IG, Matthias Omatola. If you want to check out some of my art stuff, it's uh, at Major VFX. And the same thing on ArtStation. Um, but you'll see mostly like pictures with me and my fellow nerds like Don. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yay. Well, yeah. Matthias, it's, it's been a pleasure. Honestly, like, thank you so much for all this wisdom and like advice and perspective and knowledge and community. And it's really inspiring and it's, it's so helpful to hear. So thank you so much for taking time to be on this podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to get this one out there. Awesome, brother. We'll keep it up. And thank you for everything that you're doing.